text for this morning's sermon is Zechariah 7. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, should I, weak, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, uh, say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets? When Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, with her cities around her, and the south and the lowland were inhabited. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another. In your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear. So they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, why are you here? Why did you come to church? I want you to think about that for a moment. Why are you here? Is it because you were forced to come? Because if you didn't, your parents or others would be disappointed or upset? Did you come because this is part of your normal Sunday routine? Is it because you enjoy meeting together with family members and friends and talking with them after the service? Did you gather with your brothers and sisters so you can hear the gospel and grow in your faith in Christ? Is it because you feel better after you gather for worship? 
Is it because with all the uncertainty in the world around us, you want to be comforted, you want to feel safe in God's loving care? Why do we sing psalms and hymns? And why do we pray? Why do I stand up here and preach? And why do you sit there and listen for 30 or 35 minutes? During the week, why do you read your Bible and pray and engage in Bible study? Why do you serve on various committees and volunteer your time in the service of God's kingdom work? Do you do it because it makes you feel good? Or because it helps you to grow? Or because God requires it of you? If those are the reasons, then that's good. But ultimately, there is one reason why we should do whatever we do. The Westminster Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? The answer it gives is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the greatest command in the scriptures? We heard it earlier. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So if the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and the greatest commandment is to love God with all you've got, then why are you here? Because we want to love God and to worship him and to know him and enjoy him and give him all praise. The other reasons for being here are not wrong. It is important to hear the gospel and to grow in our faith, to meet with our brothers and sisters and enjoy fellowship together. But the primary reason we should be here is because of God, to glorify Him, to give Him the praise due to His holy name. Today we begin a sermon series on Zechariah. We start at chapter 7. For those, of, for those of you who have been here for a while, I preached on the visions in Zechariah 1-6 to some years back. Zechariah 7 and 8 are a transition between the visions in Zechariah and the various prophecies that follow. These two chapters go together. They deal with the question that the people had about fasting. Their question was about whether they should continue the fasts. They had begun some 70 or 80 years earlier. The Lord responds to their questions with a rebuke. He questioned them about why they had fasted all these years. The Lord's basic question was, why did you fast? Was it for you or was it for me? The Lord questions their motivations. Like I began this sermon by asking you about why you came to church. Do you do it for yourself? Or do you do it for God? For what you can get out of it? 
or to glorify God and praise his holy name. This is the basic issue we're going to deal with this morning. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Lord answers his people's question about whether they should continue their fasting. We'll consider how the Lord reproves his people because of their false religiosity and how the Lord requires his people to practice true religion. Zechariah 7 and 8 form a unit. Our text begins with a question that will not be fully answered until the end of chapter 8. People came from Bethel, some 30 kilometers from Jerusalem, to ask the priests and the prophets a question. They asked, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for many years? The word our our text translates abstain comes from the Hebrew word connected with becoming a Nazarite. Nazarites would abstain from drinking any alcohol. No razor was allowed to touch their hair. They were not allowed to go near a dead body. They did these things as an act of consecration to the Lord. In our text, the word to abstain means to fast. It was an act of self-denial that people would perform to show their grief over their sin and to lay their needs and concerns before the Lord. Often fasting came with weeping and mourning. It was supposed to be an exercise of showing your humility before God. In the Old Covenant, there was only one day of fasting commanded by the Lord. That was on the Day of Atonement. People would also mourn and fast in times of calamity and natural disasters. They would deprive themselves of food and drink. They'd experience the pangs of thirst and hunger. They did this to indicate to the Lord how sinful they were and how sorry they were for their sins. They humbled themselves before God and pleaded for mercy from him. In our text, the people of Bethel were asking their question about fasting in a particular situation. Two men led their delegation, Sherezer and Regamelech. These are Chaldean names. These men were born in captivity. They had never seen or experienced life as it was in the former days. They come to entreat the favor of the Lord. They ask, should we weep and fast in the fifth month as we have done for many years? Verse 5 of our text also refers to a fast in the seventh month. And Zechariah 8 verse 19 references fasts in the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months. The people had been observing these fasts for more than 70 years. They observed four specific fasts. In the 10th month, they fasted in remembrance of the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. In the 4th month, they fasted because that was when the wall of Jerusalem was breached in 586 B.C. In the 5th month, they fasted because Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed. And in the 7th month, they fasted because that was when some of the Jews assassinated Gedaliah, the governor appointed by the Babylonians. Their fasting was connected with the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the people at the hands 
of the Babylonians. Now the question of the people of Bethel was, should we continue to observe these fasts? Why were they asking this question? Well, it's because their circumstances had changed. Verse 1 of our text indicates that they asked this question about continuing their fasts in the fourth year of King Darius. After 70 years in captivity, the Lord had allowed his people to return and take possession of their own land. The Jews had faced considerable opposition to the rebuilding of the temple under King Darius, under King Cyrus. Yet with the encouragement of Haggai and Zechariah, the rebuilding of the temple began again in the second year of Darius. It was finished in the sixth year of his reign. At the time when they were asking their question about fasting, the temple rebuilding was well on the way to being finished. So it seems like their question is a reasonable one. The Jews had fasted because the temple was destroyed and because the people went into captivity. Now that they had returned from exile and the temple was being rebuilt, did they still have to observe these fasts? It would seem like the reason for their fasting was taken away. So could they now abolish these fasts in the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th months? To us, it seems like a very reasonable question. Yet the Lord had a different perspective on this. Our text tells us that the word of the Lord of hosts came to Zechariah, commanding him what to say to the people. He said, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? These words would have come as a shock to God's people. They thought that they had been performing their religious duty by fasting on set days of four months of the year throughout their 70-year exile. But God was not pleased with their fasting. He rebukes them strongly with a question he asked. Zechariah's words contain a stinging admonition. Let's look more closely at the Lord's question for his people. Was it for me that you fasted? Or was it for yourselves? Fasting is a sign of sorrow and grief. What the Lord was asking the Israelites was, what were you sorry about? Why did you grieve all these years? Was it for me or was it for yourselves? When the temple was destroyed and you went into captivity, what were you sorry about? Did you grieve because of your sins and your rebellion against me? Or were your mourning and fasting, were your mourning and fasting a self-abasement because of your wickedness? Or were you only sorry about the consequences of your sins? Were you sorry because loved ones died and because your way of life was destroyed and because you were taken away to be slaves in a faraway land? The Lord questioned Israel's motivation for fasting. He questioned why they were sorry. There's really only two possibilities. Paul outlines them in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. 
He writes, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The question is, whenever someone gets caught doing something wrong, they're always sorry. But the question is, why? Are they sorry because they did wrong? Or are they sorry because they got caught? And now they have to face the consequences for their wrongdoing. Sorrow for sin and sorrow for facing the consequences of our sins can look very similar on the outside. On the outside, we may express sorrow and shame and sadness and tears. But why are we doing so? Did the Israelites fast because of godly sorrow over their rebellion against God and his commands? Or did they fast because of worldly sorrow over the loss of their city and their temple and their way of life? In our text, the Lord rebukes his people because their fasting was an outward show of religiosity rather than a mourning and grieving for the sins that led to the exile. In verse 7 of our text, the Lord makes clear that they should have known that he was not pleased with their outward religiosity. He says, were these not the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with all her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? Before Israel went into Assyrian captivity, Amos proclaimed how the Lord hated their feasts and despised their solemn assemblies. He said he would not accept their burnt offerings nor receive the praises they sang in their songs. What was the problem? The people went through the motions, but their hearts were not dedicated to God. Before the people went into Babylonian captivity, they had asked the Lord why he didn't see their fasting. God's answer was clear. Isaiah 58 explains that in the day of the fast, God's people sought their own pleasure. They were guilty of wickedness and oppression. The Lord said that because they were not repentant of their sins, he would not incline his heart to them. He would not hear their prayers or bless them. And so in our text, the Lord makes clear that his people could have known the answer to the question they were asking. Should they continue fasting? No. God had never commanded them to fast on these days. Their fasting was no more than an outward ritual. Their fasting was focused on making them feel good about themselves instead of being a sign of them repenting from their sins. Because the people did not truly humble themselves before God, God was not interested in their fasting. And so we see how the Lord strongly reproves his people. So what does this have to do with us? Well, quite a lot, beloved. By nature, we tend to be creatures of habit. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
Good habits are essential for living in godliness. The problem is that sometimes we do things out of habit without remembering why we do them. It's not hard to come to church and sing our songs and listen to a sermon. But if our hearts are not invested in what we're doing, God is not pleased with our worship. Let me ask some questions to help you examine how invested you are in worshiping the Lord. Do we make it to church on time so we can prepare our hearts to worship the Lord? If our lateness is habitual, what does this say about our dedication to God's service? Beloved, what happens when the law is read? Do your eyes glaze over? Or do you take the opportunity to examine how you have fallen short of God's commands so your hearts are humbled before Him? You come to church with the attitude, what can I get out of this service? Please understand that it is important for us all to be fed by the living preaching of the gospel. If that's not happening, it needs to be addressed. But is the focus of our worship just on what we get out of the sermon? Shouldn't our focus be on a heart connection with God? On hearing Him speak to us? Humbling ourselves before Him and seeking forgiveness? Shouldn't our focus be on connecting with God, enjoying communion with Him, and growing in the gospel? Shouldn't our focus be on finding reasons to praise His name, giving Him glory for all His wondrous works? We're just going through the motions. You think God is pleased with our worship? If we worship just for ourselves, if we come to church for the right reasons. In our first point, we've seen how the Lord reproves his people for their false religiosity. In our second point, we'll consider how the Lord requires his people to practice true religion. It's a turning point in our text at verse 9. Rather than continue to exhort and admonish his people, the Lord tells them what he expects from them. Zechariah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your hearts. Well, the Lord makes clear in these verses that there's a difference between saying we love God and truly loving Him. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In our text, the Lord refers to the second table of the law, the part focused on the duties that we owe our neighbor. The point that the Lord makes is that it's easy for us to say that we love God. 
but the real proof that we love God shows in our relationships with our neighbors. It's seen in showing kindness and goodness and faithfulness and mercy to all those God has put in our lives. Before they went into exile, God's people were guilty of injustice and oppression. They trampled the rights of the poor and the needy. They did not show forth love to their brothers and sisters. And so in our text, the Lord commands them to administer true justice. How you are treated by others should not depend on who you are, or how rich you are, or what your status is. God demands that we judge impartially, that we deal with all people honorably, no matter who they are. He commanded his people to show forth mercy and compassion to each other. He commanded us not to think evilly about each other in our hearts. Basically, the Lord required his people to image him in their everyday lives. Who is it that always renders true judgments? God does. Who is it that shows mercy and compassion even when people least deserve it? God does. Who upholds the cause of the poor and the needy? God does. True fasting is not depriving yourself of food and drink so you can feel good about your devotion to God. True religion is showing forth. It's reflecting the character of God in your everyday life. Through James, the Lord tells us, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Through Peter, the Lord commands us, be holy, for I am holy. 1 John 3 verse 10 says, by this it is evident who the children of God are, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Raises some questions for us, beloved. Are our hearts truly devoted to God? Or do we just practice the outward rituals expected of us? Do we worship God on Sundays and live the rest of the week as if He doesn't exist? If you truly love someone, you'll spend time with them. You'll communicate. Do we make time to read God's word? To hear what he has to say to us? Do we thank and praise him in our prayers and pour out our needs before his throne of grace? Are you living your life in true communion with the Lord? Beloved, do we worship God one moment and then curse our neighbor in the next? Do we go from prayer to God to sharing a bit of juicy gossip about our neighbor? How can we use the same mouth to praise God and cause and to curse people made in his image? 
Are we faithful in supporting the ministry of the gospel while at the same time not putting in a fair day's work for our employer? Do we give generously to the deacons while failing to find out what's happening next door and helping to meet our neighbors' needs? Do we do everything we can to people, please, while forgetting that the eyes of the Lord are always upon us, seeing if we are truly devoted to him? In our text, the Lord outlines what happened to the previous generation that went into exile. While observing the outward rituals of their religion, their hearts were not devoted to God. The Lord spoke to them through the prophets, calling them to repentance. But how did they respond? Verse 11 says they refused to pay attention to what God said to them. Our text says that they turned a stubborn shoulder. It's a metaphor. The Lord compares his people to a stubborn ox that refused to shoulder a yoke, to plow a field or pull a cart. Such an ox is useless. You can't do anything with it. The Lord uses a third example to prove their unwillingness to hear his words. He says that his people stopped their ears. It's what kids sometimes do. They stick their fingers in their ears and they say, I can't hear you. Finally, the Lord says his people made their hearts diamond hard. Diamond is a very hard substance. Often saw blades and drill bits are diamond tipped because the hardness allows them to remain sharp a long time. The Israelites were guilty of hardening their hearts against the Lord and against his word. It's for these reasons that the Lord sent his people into exile. Since they refused to listen to him when he called, he refused to listen to them when they called. The Lord says, I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. These words contained a strong warning for the returned exiles. They needed to listen when God spoke to them. They would better not harden their hearts, lest he bring the same judgments on them as he did on their fathers. What the Lord required from his people was that they live according to his holy law. Our focus should not be on outward religiosity, while at the same time disregarding God's commands. You remember how Samuel challenged King Saul for not devoting the spoils of war with the Amalekites to the Lord? Saul disobeyed God's command, saying he and the people had spared the animals to offer them in worship to God. Samuel responded, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Beloved, it shows that faith 
without obedience means nothing. The question we're confronted with this morning is a serious one. Beloved, are you in a heart relationship with God? Is the focus of your life loving Him and obeying His commands? Or are you floating, going along with the external practices of our faith without a true heart commitment to the Lord? Please understand that I'm not suggesting you quit engaging in the routines of life that allow you to engage with God. Our text is not saying that you shouldn't come to church if you're not feeling it on a particular Sunday. God commands us not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. It is important to set aside times for Bible reading and Bible study and for prayer. But beloved, your heart needs to be involved. If we're struggling with particular sins, we need to repent of them. Do you know what true repentance is? It is grieving with heartfelt sorrow that we've offended God by our sins and hating them and fleeing from them. The only way to do that is to see what our sins have done to God. He had to send his beloved son to suffer to die on a cross, to pay for our sins. It cost God greatly to pour out His wrath on His beloved Son so we could be set free from our sins. Do you appreciate that? How does that show in your fight against your sins and your character defects? Are you truly striving to image Christ in how you live your daily life? Repentance not only involves the dying of the old nature, it also includes the coming to life of the new nature. Do you see in your life a joy in God through Christ? Do you recognize the wondrous salvation That your Savior is accomplished for you? Is your heart glad? Do you rejoice in Christ's life-renewing work in you? Do you see in your life an increasing desire to live in accordance with God's will in all good works? Is God, by the power of His Spirit, bringing forth fruit in your life by which His holy name is glorified. Beloved, I was uncomfortable working on this morning's sermon. For a sermon to be real, a preacher needs to preach it to his own heart and life first before he delivers it on Sunday. That process required me to examine my heart and my life carefully. And beloved, I didn't always like what I saw. God is often not at the forefront of my mind. 
Many of the things I do in life are not done with the specific intent of glorifying God. There are sins and there are weaknesses in my life I despise. I'm often not the person who I like to think I am. The message of Zechariah 7 is a humbling one. Our outward religiosity, the practice of our faith, can make us arrogant. We can so easily think that we are doing what God requires of us. But are we really? Careful self-examination makes it clear that our motives for serving God are often wrong. There's so many things we do for ourselves to make us feel good. While we profess to love God, we often disobey his commands and we live as we please. God calls us to true fasting. He desires true repentance. He wants us to confess our sins and find forgiveness in the blood of Christ. He wants us to hate our sins and flee from them. He wants us to delight in him and all his wondrous works, to glorify and praise him for redeeming us by Christ's blood and renewing us by the Spirit. Outward religiosity is useless if our hearts are not devoted to God. Our text teaches us to love God with all our heart, and to show that by loving our neighbor as ourselves. Above all, it is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If we come to church with that mindset, God will be glorified. If we live our daily lives in that way, we will enjoy close communion with him. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together. Psalm 51, stanzas 4 and 6.